0: Uh, it's seven o'clock, so we're going to get started with our Bible study this evening. Um, Chad was supposed to be leading our Bible study tonight. We're going to be doing a recap of uh, our study in Daniel before we um, get into our, our new quarter. I guess maybe next Wednesday uh, we'll be in the new quarter. <coughs> next Sunday, sorry. Uh, um, so we're kind of in an interim, um, so we're going to do kind of a recap of Daniel. Chad is still recovering from his uh, eye infection, so um, let's keep him in our prayers. Um, But we're going to kind of go through um, Daniel and just kind of discuss some of the stuff that we've talked about this past quarter. I would say this evening will probably be particularly uh, focused on some of the practical applications that we can bring to our lives uh, as Christians. Um, So, really briefly, kind of the the way I'd like to structure this class, we'll spend a few minutes talking about Um, an overview of the book and kind of some of the the key themes. Maybe think about that from the perspective of how would you describe or explain Daniel to somebody who is uh, a new Christian and maybe hasn't read it before. Um, Then we'll kind of do a couple of sections. We'll look at the the first six chapters of the book, which is kind of all these stories about Daniel and his experiences in captivity and and Nebuchadnezzar's visions and all that stuff, and kind of talk about... uh, a couple things, first of all, things, just things that stick out to you from that uh, section of the book, as well as things that we learn uh, about God or the things that the book teaches us about who God is in that section, and then we'll do the same thing with the ha- se- second half, 7 through 12, uh, and then we'll wrap up the last section of our, our study tonight will be uh, a discussion of just some of the practical applications uh, from Daniel, kind of things that you guys took away, um, things that you learned, uh, stuff of that nature. Um, I will be pretty dependent upon you guys to like talk and um, you know share your inputs. Uh, I feel like I usually say that but in particular would like to just kind of get a sense of like what did you guys learn from this class, this quarter, what were the things that were meaningful to you and resonated with you um, and why. Um, So before we, we jump into that let's have a prayer really briefly. Would you bow with me? Father we come before you this evening, we are grateful for the time that we get to spend together and to study your word we're grateful for what you have revealed to us that although you are God who is high above us you have been gracious enough to reveal your word and your wisdom and who you are to us and pray that you would bless us as we study that we could come to a deeper knowledge of you and a deeper love of you father we ask all these things in Christ's most holy name amen All right, so let's kind of start off just talking about kind of big picture themes of the book. So let's imagine that you are talking to somebody who is maybe a new Christian, they've read some of the Bible, but they haven't read Daniel before. Um, How would you explain to them kind of at a high level what Daniel is about? And maybe the first place you would start is what are some of the kind of the important historical context or narrative things that are going on in Daniel? Like, what, it, what? where does Daniel fit into the narrative picture of the Bible as a whole? Yeah, Wayne. God
1: allowed Israel to be taken into captivity because Wayne disobeyed disobeyed. And one of the people that was taken into captivity was, or of the, the people that they took in the first wave of captivity was three young men. One of whom was Daniel. And it's the story of his life from we don't know how young, but very young, to an old age, of a person that from the very earliest had decided that he was going to be faithful.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I think I like that you hit on a couple important points there of like Israel is being being taken into captivity, and it's a lot of story about Daniel and particularly his faithfulness towards God and a lot of the results of that. What else? What else would you guys add to that? Yeah? Say what? It ranges from when Babylon was in power all the way to the beginnings of the meeting of Persons' Yeah. Okay, so it spans a pretty long section of time, right? So in the beginning of the story, Daniel is a young man, and he's living in uh, Judah, I guess. And the Babylonians come in and conquer Judah as a result of Israel's sin. That is kind of God's punishment slash wake-up call to them to turn back to him. And so Daniel, as a young man, is taken into captivity in Babylon. And he's there all the way until Babylon is then overthrown by another empire, the Persian Empire. Uh, and those empires have a pretty significant uh, role in the story of, ba- or of Daniel because it's a lot about these uh, kingdoms of men and their relationship with God and, and how to kind of understand that and think about that and particularly God's uh, authority over them. What else? Anything else you guys want to call out? Yeah, Chip. Chip.
2: They God is sovereign, he's in control. Uh, so I think what Daniel teaches us is that no matter what circumstances or plan that he had devised for our salvation to be accomplished, uh, that even during
0: these times, he was in control. Yeah, I like that you bring that up. And I think maybe that hits on one of the other big themes of Daniel is you frequently see Daniel and his friends in these very challenging situations. They're, it starts off with them being taken into captivity which is not really how you want to, like, start your teenage years. Um, And so they're in all these very difficult situations, and yet in each of these situations that they find themselves, we see a picture of God delivering them out of whatever trial they're going through, which I think is intended to not just be great for Daniel and his friends, but also to be uh, a sign and a message to the uh, Israelites that, hey, you've you've been brought into this hard situation, and... For the Israelites as a whole, it's a consequence of their sin, right? But there's also a picture of if you're faithful to God, He's going to be faithful to deliver you. Anything else you guys want to add? Yeah, Adam.
3: I think the, the first aspect of what's our is, is that there's multiple situations that either Daniel or his friends were put in where their belief leads them to do the opposite of Whatever this additional wisdom or knowledge of the day was, whether that's you know you're in a seat of power or in a, a place of blessing, and so you should eat all these fine foods and take part in the fine wine and do all this, or everyone is bowing down to this idol, you should bow down too. It's the thing that we all do together. Um, or there's a law that says you can't do something, so you shouldn't you shouldn't do it. So you you shouldn't pray. Um, and all of those things are kind of Conventional wisdom or knowledge of that day, um, and Daniel purposefully chose, or his friends, to kind of go the opposite way uh, because of the faith, um, and God protected them. Uh, in
0: those yeah, I think there's a particular tension between kind of like the the mainstream culture that they're in and what they know would be uh, is the right thing to do, and that is kind of a, a theme throughout the book as well. Marty, is you ever going to? Yeah, so I like that you brought out some of those structural elements. The the language thing is particularly interesting, right? Because some of it's written in Hebrew, which is the language of the Hebrews, and some of it's written in Aramaic, which is, I guess, the common tongue of the Babylonians and kind of like people who aren't Hebrews, right? And so it's pretty clear that the idea there is this isn't just a message for uh, the Jews, but it's also a message for the people that they're around who, who aren't Jews and for them to also come to an understanding about who God is and why they should be serving him. And so there's a message in Daniel to everybody about their relationship with God. Wayne. Yeah, I think that you bring up a good point of Daniel's always very careful to attribute credit to God. And we see some other folks in the book who are, are pretty negligent in that area and are pretty quick to attribute credit to themselves. I think particularly the second half of the book that deals with all of these prophecies and visions about different kingdoms and things that are going to happen and all of this, maybe paint a picture for us that can be kind of uh, confusing as we're going through it, I don't know if anybody like got lost when Barry was doing some of the explanations of like, and this thing is this guy from this time period and his son did this and all that. And like, that's a lot to digest. But I think if you're going to zoom out from that, the thing that you see there is, it's pretty foolish to attribute credit to yourself, especially if you're, I guess, a leader of a, a major nation. Because at the end of the day, God is the one who is in control of who's in power and who is not. And that's kind of one of the big messages of, I think, Daniel overall, is who's in charge of all of these nations? Is it these, these kings and uh, emperors and rulers who are have these massive armies, or is it God? And you kind of see that that is one of the big themes of the book, is this tension between the nations of the world and God's authority, and God's authority winning out every time. Alright, so here's what I'd like to do. Let's take maybe three to five minutes and just kind of flip through if you've got your, uh, your notes on Daniel from what we've been doing so far. Take maybe three to five minutes and kind of flip through the first six chapters and just kind of skim through those to refresh your memory and maybe think about um, A, A, things that just stuck out to you or resonated with you personally and then also some of the key things that you see uh, that the book teaches, uh, teaches us about who God is. All right, so what what things stuck out with you or resonated with you from these first six chapters? Yeah.
3: version
2: of the ways that we see God working throughout the back half of Daniel, but the way that God is bringing up and down leaders and nations, and it's just like the way you see God working is, is incredible, but just the way that he's, Daniel chooses to stay faithful, even though circumstances that he's in could not be more abysmal for a God who allowed them to be taken into captivity because of their
0: disobedience is, is incredible. Yeah, I think it's it's, um, it's really encouraging, inspiring to think about Daniel being put in all of these difficult situations, because it seems like every other chapter, somebody's in a scenario where it's like, oh, we got we to gotta kill you, dude. Like, we got to put you in the fire. We got to, like, throw you in the lion's den, and throughout that, Every single time that scenario comes up, Daniel and his friends are always consistent in trusting in God, and God is always consistent in delivering them from that situation to his glory and to their, um, I I would say to their glory as well. They always excel after they're in those situations, and the people who are out to get them are always defeated, humiliated, whatever. It's always a win for God and his people and a loss for the people who are opposing them. What else?
2: it seemed like God use those situations because the only
0: God's. Yeah, I think that's a great point of like there's often these times where um, God's power is being challenged or his authority be- is being challenged or just the integrity of his people is being challenged. And I think that maybe speaks to why Daniel and his friends are often, often find themselves in these situations where at the outset it seems pretty kind of scary what things are actually going to turn out to be. And it seems like they should not be able to get out of that. But I, when I read it, what I feel like is... These, these guys are being placed into these situations that seem inescapable specifically because it's evidence that God is the one who's in control, not these, these earthly kings. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Brian. Uh, I see a
2: few things. One, in the first six chapters, you to mention, mention a lot God's control. If you look at God's purpose for the Israelites. They fell at that, and yet we still see God's wisdom and His control. He is still using the people to do that very thing. When we look at this book, we are seeing that he, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, they're, they're, putting, they're putting these specific um, these instances to where God is glorified. And we're, this is a book that we can see that we can use today to show that God is not just the God of Israel. God is not just the God of Jesus. God is the God of the universe. And he wants all to know him. All to know who he is and all the praises. If he didn't, why would he care about Nebuchadnezzar with Arius? If he didn't, why would he not why would he care if David was underlies and through that had Arius praise God and offer the proof that he is the God, the living God. And to show that these you know, paintings and these idols that these other people were are not are not true gods, so we're seeing his wisdom again, his control that he is the God of the world, and he was all to them. And it's interesting to see that even though the Israelites failed at that, that, he was still using them for that purpose, <coughs> even though they were not doing that themselves, and their willingness to do that.
0: Yeah, I like what you said there. I think even particular, like, the image of Daniel and his friends as being kind of this, like, faithful remnant of um, the Israelites that as a whole are being taken into, into captivity, God is still able to use this faithful remnant of these guys who... Seems like, unlike Israel as a whole, still do trust God and take seriously wanting, wanting to follow Him and, and uh, earnestly seek Him, and God's able to use them to tremendous effect, and also He's able to use uh, these like pagan kings, right, and, and raises them up to, you know, conquer Israel or conquer another nation to show His power and His control, not just for the sake of, of the Israelites, but also for the sake of all of these other nations to know. Who he is, and that he is, is God, and, and to know that they should be seeking him too. What else? Yeah? The rulers of Babylon and the Persians and
2: all those rule by fear. They inspire fear. God inspires trust in his people. Yeah. rules by trust. Yes. His faith.
0: Yeah, I like that you brought that out. Um, Particularly, I think you see that in the way that he interacts with Nebuchadnezzar a lot, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar gets several opportunities to kind of understand more about who God is. You know, he has this vision that Daniel interprets, and then he has the thing with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then he has the thing where he like has the animal brain, and he goes through like several of these experiences that are all supposed to like show him, hey, dude. You think you're the, like, the bee's knees, but God is the one who's in control. And it takes him several times to actually get it. (laughs) And throughout all of that, even though he keeps coming back to, like, thinking that that he is hot stuff, God is always patient with Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan emperor, to show him who he is and and to, to be merciful toward him. Rather than probably how Nebuchadnezzar rules, which is generally like, I don't like this thing, kill everybody who is like in my way. Yeah. Yeah, there's several of these images of people who are being taught about God God, or who already should know about God. And if their response is a response of arrogance rather than a response of humility, there are consequences for that. And I think that is uh, maybe uh, some more insight into who God is. There's an appropriate way for us to respond to who he is and what he's done for us. Um, and there's an inappropriate way. What else? Yeah, Wayne.
1: On that thing, you know, the three things that <coughs> we can comprehend, the omnipresence, omnipowerful, and, you know, all-knowing, that there's no such thing as time. And when you're studying with somebody and, and they're looking at Daniel, you know, the idea that he sees everything. And that he sees the end. He he sees through generations for thousands, in fact, from the beginning to the end. And I think to somebody that you're studying with, that can be just overwhelming. You know, but it, it shows it in these instances in Daniel. You know, what does God do? Why did he let Israel go into captivity? Why? Why? Why, why does? Why do things happen? Well, that's on God's end. We we can't always answer, but it's just it's a good book to study with somebody because it's such. A good story.
0: Yeah, I think Daniel and his friends probably face a lot of questions that maybe even we find challenging. Of we're kind of at a specific point in time, trying to like comprehend a lot of. What is, what's going on, and, and we only have the the ability to see things that are, are in our own sphere, right? And um, I think what Daniel and his friends do, to their credit, and what should be kind of something we want to imitate, is their ability and their willingness to approach situations with the mindset of, okay, I don't know what is going to happen, but I know that God is going to take care of it in a way that he deems is best and whatever that works out to be, I accept that and I'm happy to play my part in it. I think that's really hard to uh, do on a practical level, level, but it's very encouraging I think to see Daniel and his friends as an example of that. Any other thoughts on these uh, first six chapters? I think one of the things that, that sticks out to me is um, Daniel and his friends don't get a pass. Like, they're, they're ostensibly good Israelites. They're young guys, but they already seem to get it, and they want to serve God. And they're very convicted about it because they're put in really hard situations and stay strong to their convictions. Um, but the reason that they're in captivity is because of the collective sin of the Israelites. And they don't get a, like a pass on that um, consequence. They don't get to like skip over the trial because they're seeking God even though the rest of the nation isn't. And I think maybe that is important for us to recognize in that God isn't going to like just kind of smooth things over for us because we're Christians. In fact, it might be harder for us because we're Christians. I imagine there were other captives who were in uh, well there certainly were other captains who were in Babylon who also like bowed down to worship the golden idol that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship. And it was easier for them because they made the safe choice. So ostensibly it might be harder for us as Christians because we're trying to do the right thing and that maybe puts us in an unsafe situation. So I think it's interesting that, that Daniel and his friends don't get a, a kind of a, a pass on that, but they are always delivered because of their faith in God. Adam, you had a comment.
3: You know, I, I've been thinking about making that comment. Uh, I think it is often we're talking to. You frame this as we we're talking to some guys that study a lot of the Bible, with Daniel. Well, a lot of people, if you talk to them about God very much, <coughs> if they don't have much faith, in my experience, you often find that. the the really big hitch that they're dealing with is kind of like one of two questions and one of those questions is like well why do do really bad things happen to good people Uh, and why if God's omnipotent why why does that happen Um, in some ways I don't think Daniel answers that question but I think what it does do is it presents the idea that God can care for people in the midst Of their enduring pain that isn't of their own doing. Like these gentlemen who are essentially abducted from their home, not because of their sin, because they were doing something wrong, uh, but then God cares for them and they're blessed in many ways. But interestingly, multiple, like multiples of the stories are examples of them, those blessings ceasing. You're going to you're going to have to bow down to this or you're going to die. Or if you have stop to God, you are going to throw you an alliance in. Uh, the risk that came to them when the and Persians took over, like, right, all that was potentially quite problematic for them if they came through uh, eventually. Um, but God didn't protect them or, or keep them from the great calamity, but he didn't care for them within the calamity that was the abduction of Israel.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, let's maybe take two minutes and just kind of skim through uh, the, the back half of this, 7 through 12, and just think about those same couple questions. What, what things stick out to you or resonate with you, and what are some of the things that we learn about um, God in this second half of the book? All right. Um, I'll try to keep this section fairly brief because I do not want to save some time for us to talk about kind of overall practical applications from the book. But kind of these last six chapters of the book, what, what things resonated with you? Yeah, Adam.
3: That the the angels of the Prince of Persia and the angels of wherever are doing battle and fighting and struggling, that glimpse that we get into the the world behind our world, uh, it's kind of echoed in Ephesians um, where we talk about putting on the breastplate all of gods that withstand those things. Um, To me, it just resonates a lot, one kind of back to why did that happen as well. Part of the reason why I'm bad things happen is because Satan and his angels have power and they seek to control things and to impact events, and um, they do that by causing pain and war and strife and God is battling with them for <clears throat> us. Um, and we don't get a lot more detail about that, but it does uh, kind of change what you think potentially. Like, why did that just happen? Is God controlling everything. And It's, well, he is, he is battling for <coughs> us, um, even when we can't see that battle kind of in front of our eyes, which is um, hopefully encouraging, um, if you believe that God is powerful in those battles.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that glimpse we see is, I think, really important because uh, it's easy to go through life and kind of only see the physical and only see kind of what's right in front of our face, and I think that interaction that Daniel has suggests that that's a pretty surface-level understanding of uh, um, how the how the world operates, right? Of there are spiritual forces and there's Satan's forces of evil that are out to cause pain, like you said, and hurt. And maybe that it helps us. Hopefully, it helps us to be more invested in our mission of spiritual warfare to think about things in in that sense because if i look around me i'm like okay well like things seem pretty much fine like air conditioned building like nice clothes feeling pretty comfortable had dinner tonight seems like things are pretty good no no tension no conflict going on we can maybe lose sight of just how much conflict is going on spiritually in the world, and that we have, a, we have a role to play in fighting that battle. What else stuck out to you guys from, from these chapters? Yeah, I like that you brought that up. Um, I remember him saying that, and I think that's a a super impactful way to think of a lot of the the visions that Daniel receives and the interpretation of those visions is about bad stuff that's going to happen, like scary stuff that's going to happen to the Jews and the consequences of that. And I I think the extrapolation for us today is like those bad things could also happen in our lives, that we might have to face that. And kind of, are we ready to lose everything? Or, or do we think of ourselves as already dead and kind of, you know, whatever happens, I'm prepared for that. Yeah. I always
2: found that it was in chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of, of revelation of Jesus' coming. In chapter seven
1: thirteen, he talks about, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came the ancient of days and a garden for and there was given him dominion and glory in a kingdom that all people nations of my shall serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom shall his kingdom that world that which shall not be destroyed
0: yeah I think that's a really cool Image there, and I think maybe something that's I think is pretty cool about Daniel in general is there's so much imagery of stuff that is going to happen in the future, and it's very specific and precise and um, descriptive in that. And how amazing is it that we can see that imagery of certainly all the historical events that are going to happen, but also the preeminence of Jesus prophesied so far in advance. I think that is maybe something we take uh, for granted if we've been reading the Bible for a while or have been a Christian for a while. But it is pretty crazy to think about the fact that all of these events are pretty clearly spelled out in a way that should be evidence for us of, A, that this is true, but also, B, God is in control, (laughs) and he is able to see this big picture in a way that we can't as humans um, and I think that should give us, give us confidence, uh, especially given that the kind of the, the end game, the final picture is Jesus being in power and in control. And hopefully, uh, if we are faithful, us being on that team, so to speak. Um, anything else from these these uh, second chapters? Yeah, Wayne. I think somebody
1: that really does know a lot about the Bible might question how God... Interacts with man. And in this book, in like in chapter five, where the the famous sayings came from this book, the handwriting is on the wall. You know, God could do handwriting on the wall, but there's a big difference in how he deals with us and how he dealt with them. But you can see how they reacted when they heard what God was going to do at Nebuchadnezzar. You know the king is going to be taken. You're going to be like you're going to eat grass. You know, and and how they how they took that news. You know, it is a fearful thing once you know how God's going to deal with you. And thank goodness that we uh, thank God we have an intercessor. It, it, and it's not like it was the we, but we have to work for it. You know, we have to actually search than what God wants us to do, which is a little different than most people. But the the overriding idea of how God dealt with these people is just the impossible.
0: Yeah, I like that you um, brought that up there, particularly the idea that we have to kind of uh, work at it. Um, That's interesting because, like, We're not necessarily going to see like a hand writing on the wall, and like this is what's going to happen. Like that's pretty uh, (laughs) outside the norm, I would say. But we've received God's word, and we—it's—it's this—it's the same word, right? Like we should react to this with the same degree of of, um, faith and seriousness that we would react to like a miraculous hand writing on the wall. And I think in particular, it's interesting in the back half of these chapters, like Daniel has all these visions and they are very distressing to him. But God is also um, faithful in in trying to make sure that Daniel understands this. Um, And that's interesting to me that although God's ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, he also clearly throughout this book has a concern for people understanding um, and certainly we're not going to understand, you know, ev- everything. Um, there are things that still haven't been revealed to us, or I guess we'll have to wait <laughs> until heaven to understand them. But God is concerned about revealing himself to us and making himself known, not just kind of, um, I don't know, being obstructed, kind of up in the clouds, so to speak, like we might conceptualize a Greek God or whatever. Like God is reaching out to make himself known and be revealed and to be understood. Um, All right, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, What would you say are some of the kind of big takeaways as far as like practical applications of changes or um, ways that that we can be implementing some of the lessons from Daniel in our lives as Christians on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, Julie. Yeah, I think there's this idea of suffering is temporary. And we see all these images of of Daniel and his friends being delivered in the end. Um, And they always have confidence, even if it's not going to be a physical deliverance, that that, um, even if they end up dying, they're okay with that because they have confidence in in God's deliverance. I think that's a great, great point that whatever suffering we face, it is temporary, um, but the faithfulness of God is eternal. What else? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy, particularly in America, right, because we have the kind of the luxury of getting to cast a vote. Um, That's not necessarily how governments have worked through a lot of of human history. Back in Daniel's day, it was kind of just like, I'm the king and you're stuck with me. And it's easy, I think, particularly for us um, to maybe stress out about that, about who's in office or who's not in office, and that's not something to worry about. Yeah, I think there's certainly peace in that of like, God is still in control, even though we're a democracy, like that doesn't, <laughs> like we haven't somehow figured out a workaround of God's uh, dominion over, over the kingdoms of men. And that should be a comfort and a peace to us. Um, any other kind of big takeaways or applications from Daniel that you guys had? Yeah, yeah, Daniel is concerned um, about God's name being glorified. I think Moses prays a similar prayer to that about the Israelites of don't destroy them because that will discredit your name. I think that is a good thing for us to focus on is focusing on the mission of serving God. I think uh, one of the big takeaways for me was this idea that you know, in several cases, Daniel and his friends are put in tough situations where they basically have to choose between doing what they know is right and doing what they know is safe. And in every situation, they choose to do what is right. And in every situation, that works out to, to glorify God, for them to be successful, and for their enemies to be defeated. And I think for us, it's important to be prepared and to be convicted and to be con- courageous that... You know, at some point we're going to be put into similar situations and be prepared to choose what's right and also to have faith that doing so will work out because of God's faithfulness. Um, That's all I got for you tonight. Appreciate your guys' uh, comments. We'll be back with a new quarter on on Sunday. So thank you very much, everybody.